Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? Hi, this is Tawny Plattis of the Dirty Bits Podcast, where I very casually retell all of the scandalous and salacious stories from history your teacher probably left out. And you're listening to History Goes Bump. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump Podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 218th episode of the History Ghost Bump Podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. On today's episode, we have a special guest joining us, Tim Shaw. He is a writer, a medium, a paranormal investigator, and we did not know, but he was a docent at the location that we are bringing you today, and that is Old Fort Niagara up in New York. You're really going to enjoy this interview with Tim. He is so much fun. One little drawback, though, is I had tried a new setup because I got this new little splitter that I thought would work better than what we were already using. And as they say, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. Well, I broke it. So if it wasn't broke, it is now. (laughs) So I listened back to the playback and Tim sounds great. And Denise and I sounded like we were on the side of a street with a bunch of traffic behind us. The noise and hiss and popping was so loud behind us. And in order to get rid of that, it ended up making us sound really muddied. So we went from sounding like we were on a street corner to sounding like we were down underneath the street trying to yell up through the sewer system. So We We were the sewer rats. We were down there with Pennywise. Oh, don't. Oh, (laughs) Heather and all you clown people, she went there. I did go there. So I apologize. We're not going to sound the best, but the bulk of the interview is Tim and he sounds great. So I think you're really going to enjoy that. Want to thank Tawny from the Dirty Bits podcast for her little intro there. We want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Catherine. Hey, Catherine. Sam. Hi, Sam. Anthony. Hey, Anthony. Gary. Hi, Gary. Martha. Hi, Martha. Joey. Hey, Joey. Meredith. Hey, Meredith. Stephen with a PH. Hello, Stephen with a PH. Ariel. Hi, Ariel. Nicole. Hi, Nicole. Domian. Hey, Domian. Jay. Hey, Jay. Jessica. Hi, Jessica. Linda. Hey, Linda. Anna with one N. Hello, Anna with one N. Megan. Hi, Megan. Rebecca. Hey, Rebecca. Bruce. Hey, Bruce. Dana and James. Hello, Dana and James. I guess they come as a package like you and I. Very cool. Rachel. Hello, Rachel. Cheryl. Hi, Cheryl. Richard. Hey, Richard. Annie. Hi, Annie. Kenno. Hey, Kenno. Deborah Lee. Hi, Deborah Lee. Barb. Hello, Barb. And Orange Tabby. So we have an orange cat that came in to hang out with us. So I don't know how Orange Tabby feels about black cats, but we have a lot of black cats in the Spooktacular crew, or at least owners of black cats in there. Yes, but welcome anyway, Orange Tabby. It's good to have you. And now, this moment in oddity. (laughs) 
Purple sapphires are very rare gems, and they are unique in that they don't need to be heat-treated to obtain their best color. The most famous purple sapphire is the Delphi Purple Sapphire. And the funny thing is that the Delphi Purple Sapphire is actually an amethyst. Today it can be found at London's Natural History Museum, but it began its travels in the Temple of Indra in 1857. It was looted during the Indian mutiny of that year, and legend claims that a curse was set in motion. Bengal cavalryman Colonel W. Ferris brought the gem home with him, and soon the entire Ferris family was battling illness and struggling financially. A family friend wore the gem one day and committed suicide while in possession of the stone. Author Edward Heron Allen became the next owner in 1890, and he suffered a series of misfortunes. He was a scientific man and not given to such beliefs, but he began telling people that the gem was cursed. He tried to pawn it off on a couple of friends who soon returned it after experiencing their own bad luck. So Edward threw the sapphire into the dirty Regent's Canal. It came back to him three months later when a dredger found it. Edward eventually put it in a box with instructions for it to be given to the Natural History Museum upon his death. A note was included that detailed its cursed history and gave instruction that Edward's daughter was to never touch or be in possession of the gem. Edward ended the note with, Whoever shall then open it shall first read out this warning and then do as he pleases with the jewel. My advice to him or her is to cast it into the sea. A member of the museum has transported the stone three times for events, and each time he experienced a horrid weather event or illness. If there really is a curse that continues on into the present, in regards to the Delphi Purple Sapphire, that certainly is odd. This history podcast is haunted. And now, this month in history. In the month of August, on the 2nd, in 1923, President Warren G. Harding died suddenly in the presidential suite of San Francisco's Palace Hotel while on a Western speaking tour called The Voyage of Understanding. His wife had been reading him the Saturday Evening Post as he recovered from a week-long illness that many felt was food poisoning. He had been experiencing cramps, fever, indigestion, and shortness of breath. The stress of the tour was thought to have made matters worse. His wife was reading an article about him, and he commented after she finished, That's good. Go on. He then shuddered and fell back dead on his bed. The Teapot Dome political scandal had tainted his administration, and many rumors began after his sudden death, calling into question if he'd really just dropped dead from illness. The vice president, Calvin Coolidge, was sworn into office at 2.43 a.m. Eastern Time at his home in Plymouth, Vermont. When one hears the city of Niagara mentioned, one immediately thinks of the stunning natural wonder Niagara Falls. There is much more to this western New York area, and it is truly a haunted spot. One location that is rich in history and haunts is Old Fort Niagara. The fort's history stretches back over three centuries, and it initially was a key point of defense, especially during the colonial wars in North America. 
Several countries have held control of Fort Niagara. Fort Conti, Fort Devonville, the French Castle, and finally Fort Niagara have all had homes there. The strategic importance of the fort diminished when the Erie Canal was built, but it remained active into the 20th century. Today, it has been restored and is operated by the Old Fort Niagara Association, Incorporated, a not-for-profit organization in cooperation with the New York State Office of Parks, Recreation, and Historic Preservation. Tours are offered, and it is a living museum. Former docent from the fort and author, podcaster, and investigator Tim Shaw joins us to discuss the history and hauntings of Old Fort Niagara. Well, we are joined by Tim Shaw. He is the founder and CEO of Sean Thomas Productions. He also is a photographer, an urban explorer, traditional leather worker, along with being the author of The Ghosts of Buffalo, Spirits, Murder, and Mayhem in the Nickel City, co-author of Haunted Rochester. And he has another book that just came out in 2015, The Dogma of Me, which was published by Dark Moon Press. And then on top of all this, as if he doesn't already do enough, he's appeared on a number of television shows, including the sci-fi channels Ghost Hunters, the Discovery Channel's Ghost Lab, CBS Radio, Paranormal New York, Spike Network's Ghost Ops, Deftone Picture Studios' Ombus, To Catch a Soul and a Grim Becoming, the award-winning Marsh Creek Tramp, as well as Core Productions documentary John Zaffis, The World Within. And most recently, he was featured on Destination America's hit show Paranormal Lockdown. His current project is a new web series, which I've been enjoying, called Curiosity, and he does that with Eric Charles, how are you, Tim? Oh, I am fantastic. Listen, ladies, I just want to tell you that it is a immense honor to be interviewed by you guys. I am like a fan guy. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I love the show. And, you know, I, I, I was just blown away when you wanted to uh, sit down and talk a little bit about Fort Niagara. And uh, it's super. Again, it's a super honor to be here. So thank you right in advance. Well, Tim, I have to say that the feeling is mutual because when you first contacted me, you were telling me a little bit about yourself. And I went, wait, wait a minute. I know this show because way back in the day when I was over on Blog Talk Radio, I had a political show, but I like to hang out with the paranormal type shows. And so I would look around the internet for chat rooms to hang out with that had paranormal shows. And you were over on the Para-X radio network with your Black Cat Lounge. And I would either be sitting there in the chat room listening to you there, or I would listen to basically it would take the live show and put it up as a podcast later. And so then I would listen to the podcast later. So I was listening to you quite a few years ago you were just probably what in grammar school when you were listening to me right that that, that that's what it's like <laughs> yeah i'm i'm not that far behind you so no i was not in grammar no, school she's she's quite old <laughs> thanks denise you're welcome well, you know, I covered a whole list of stuff there, but what we didn't really talk about is the fact that obviously you are way into the paranormal. Is there a particular reason why, like experiences that you had early on as a kid? What brought you into the world of the paranormal? Well, actually, the uh, religion of spiritualism has been in my family since the 1880s. I first went to the Lilydale Assembly, which is a uh, spiritualist enclave or community here in western New York, probably back in 71, 72, somewhere around there. And we used to go to Lyceum, which is a Sunday school. And uh, I kind of got a real, the best way I can say and I can describe my desire was that it, it seemed to make sense to me. I was, during the school year, I went to a Roman Catholic uh, parochial school, which, uh, 
was interesting because summertime came, we went to go and visit relatives down in Lilydale, and uh, I would go crazy. I would just love everything that was going on, and we would we would go to the open uh, gallery readings, which were three times a day during the season. And, and this is again, I was probably in seventh or eighth grade when all this was going on, and it just made such sense. And to really witness some of the really insane things that would happen back then. Uh, it's a little bit different. Uh, sometimes I think uh, spiritualism or even the whole the whole idea of doing readings or, or becoming a psychic, it gets a little convoluted. It gets a little diluted. Because back then, they were really used to push for identifiers, you know, and some of the physical phenomena that I actually witnessed was really just mind-blowing. I remember sitting in right up front in in a, in a church service where a gentleman a medium went up there and was talking and while he was talking a second voice came out of his solar plexus and they were discussing something it was i forget what it was but i was a kid then but i always remember hearing that and and it wasn't like ventriloquism where you threw your voice it seriously was coming out of his solar plexus uh, i've seen you know, spirit. And well, even as a kid, we had uh, what they called children's seances back then. It was done in regular light, but it was, uh, they taught us these things to get us ready to not be so afraid of physical, physical phenomena when it, when it occurred. And, and I remember sitting there and hearing, uh, voices and whispers coming out of the spirit trumpet, which is, it's one of those long listening trumpets. It looks like a, it looks like a, a funnel. That's the best way I can describe it. And I, I've seen them kind of float in the air. Uh, I was, I, you know, you saw shadows and you saw things move. We used to, we never used Ouija boards back then. We used uh, writing automatic writing planches, which is a planche with a pencil in it. And you put your hands on it, and it would, you know, would start to move and spell out words and draw things. Or we used a, a, a polished surface like a like a table with a shot glass or a wine glass on it uh, for yes or no answers. So, I mean, as a kid, I think it was really, the best way I can describe it is Scooby-Doo on acid, you know, because everything was just so, so uh, amazing to me. And then, of course, as years went on, I mean, uh, I got to see some of the biggest frauds up there, too. So it kind of tempered me. Now I, I just, I'm still a devotee, and I, except now I'm just not a spiritual side, so i, I wandering within Wiccan circles and Santeria circles and some of my friends in Voodoo and I just came back from a from an event down in New Orleans and I got a chance to really touch base with some really hardcore people down there. So everything about this whole field still to this day at the tender age of 60 where I am right now, it still amazes me and I still feel like that little kid that ran around Lilydale and caused havoc on my bicycle. <laughs> In the spiritualism, because of the golden age of fraud, uh, everybody knows about Marjorie, the medium, and, and uh, how Houdini used to go and, and try to go and, and disprove a lot of what was going on. Because of that, a lot of people shied away from it. And a lot of the organized religions, the spiritualist religions, began to shy away from any tools of mediumship. Uh, I teach mediumship up here and uh, in Western New York, and there are more and more people that are actually starting to bring back the whole art of seance, which kind of went by the wayside, I would say probably about 15 to 20 years ago. Personally, I've never done a seance that has been in total darkness, and I don't believe in it. And I always tell people that if you ever go to a place where they're going to do a seance and it's in total darkness, walk out, because there may be trickery. We have what's called red light seances. I won't say it's IR light. 
It's more of a uh, subdued red light, something like that we used to use in the old black and white photography studios. And we're able to go, and they say it does not hurt the spirit or production of ectoplasm. Whereas sometimes what we're finding now with using IR light, sometimes it bothers the manifestation. It kind of retards the manifestation of ectoplasm. So they're working with multi-spectrum lights now, which is which is pretty cool. But we use red lights, we use green lights, blue lights, anything to illuminate the room so that when you open your eyes, you can see everyone, you can see their hands, you can see where they're sitting, you can see if there's any like wires or anything that can be, you know, used to manipulate uh, any of the tools, bells or whatever you're using just to make sure that it's all up and up because my philosophy has always been that you want the truth of the matter that isn't that what we're doing this for we're all truth seekers and there's no there's no room for anybody that has uh, any kind of sideshow carny work because i mean that that's just that just derails the whole whole idea and the whole system it makes everybody look bad it really truly does and it gives fodder to cannon fodder to the skeptics and that i just i personally i'm one of these people that i would rather sit there and not have anything happen and to go and pretend or or manipulate something in order for the you know in order for two people to just go oh my god wow so now what kind of psychic are you do you actually see the spirits hear them or a little bit of both i'm more clairvoyant than anything else uh, i was first when i first developed as a kid i was one of those crazy people that like right from a right from a child uh, i could always see aura around living and non-living things and as I progressed and as I took classes, I took a lot of classes. I'm one of those people that are pretty anal about it. I believe that people really should study and have a mentor. And my one of my greatest mentors is a woman by the name of Sharon Klingler from Ohio. And I took several courses through her, pretty intensive courses. And as I progressed, I started to lose being able to see things objectively, which means through your eyes. And I thought I, you know, for all intents and purposes, I thought I broke myself. I thought I something, I, I snapped something in my brain that I could no longer see it. And she sat me down one day and she explained to me, she goes, well, you know, you were always trained as a gallery reader. You were always trained as someone who did message work within the framework of the spiritualist religious service, weren't you? And I said, yeah. I said, I've never done, I never really did one-on-one type of readings uh, up to that point. I always serve the pulpit. And she goes, well, it's the way you've developed now. It's quicker. You can feel the essence. You can go and get the picture in your brain. And you can feel that essence of what's going on. And that's how you get it out quicker. Because normally, we usually work, uh, when we work the, the podium, we're usually asked to do uh, bring spirit or bring messages to three to four people within a 15-minute time period. So you've got to be able to get as much information out there as you possibly can with the least amount of work. And that's the way it works. And that's how I kind of developed with it. And as I started to really work more and more, uh, I started getting the essence of the essence of, of taste and the essence of smell. And I started being able to get clear audience where I started hearing things. And it wasn't until a few years ago where I started seeing things again. And recently I was just up at a uh, location in uh, Bergen, New York. And I looked out a second floor window onto this huge swamp and I saw a gentleman standing out there in this huge swamp. And I went, why would he be standing in a huge swamp? And I looked off to, to the guy that was that was with me and I went, looked back and he was 
was gone. And I described the guy, and he said several people have seen a person like that, and he, they nicknamed him the Watcher. So again, as I'm growing older and I'm uh, uh, working in different in, in different venues and different genres right now, I think that my objectivity, the sight, is starting to come back. Well, there certainly is a lot of weird stuff and haunted things in the part of New York where you're at near Buffalo, Western New York. And you had thrown out a lot of locations to me, and one that caught my attention was Old Fort Niagara. And so could you tell everybody a little bit about it? I know it's several hundred years old. Do you know a lot about the history behind it? Well, I was a volunteer up there. I was a docent and a volunteer up there for, for about a decade off and on. And it is one of those unique overlay that historically is so important. It started off as a uh, temporary hunting and fishing camp probably three to 5,000 years ago during the Hopewell culture. And there were, there's actually still burial mounds that are found in the area. And there's one up at a place in Lewiston, New York, where they did a partial excavation and they found pipestone from Minnesota. And they found this black chert from the Adirondacks. And they found, actually, they found teeth from the great white shark from the Gulf. And that's how all these trade routes are. And that's how important this was because of the fact that this little area is located at the mouth of the Niagara River and Lake Ontario. And it was a portage site where people would Go, Native Americans would actually go and they would portage up because they would go around the rapids. And then actually it would, you could go and bypass Niagara Falls and go up and go across over to the Grand Island and then continue your way on. So it was a very, very important site. And when they have done archaeological surveys up there, they have found stone tools. Then later on, when uh, the French were exploring, La Salle went and used it as a, a as a base of supplies, and he actually built one of the very first European style vessels that actually was able to go and explore the Great Lakes. So that was a a one of the base of supplies, and again, it, it would follow the old portage route and go around Niagara Falls. And there's a lot of people that have died up there. That I believe that was probably the first 50 people that died up there in that stockade during the first winter. And later on, it became a very, very, they call it Fortress Thundergate because of the fact that it was, it controlled the portage routes going inward so that you would have all the exploration and you would have uh, uh, this huge battle for the trade of Native American peoples in the Interlands. And if you started up in that area and followed the different routes, you could actually go as far as Pittsburgh and beyond through the Delaware water gaps. So it was very important. And the French knew how important it was. And they struck a deal with the Seneca, uh, one of the one of the tribes of the Iroquois Confederacy. And they built a trade house. And they call it the castle. But it's actually a trade house. And it was all built of thick stone. And all the shutters would, would open up from the inside. And there was a, an arsenal. And there was a well in there. And it had its own bakehouse. So it was pretty much a self-contained unit, and they started to build a small fort around it, which was just amazing. And it became a bone of contention during the, uh, you know, the English ex- uh, expansion and during the French and Indian War. And actually, the it was uh, bombarded by the English. It was surrendered. The English took it over, and then later on, with the American uh, Revolution, it became a point of of salvation as. uh, General Washington sent General Sullivan Clinton northward to destroy the the entire breadbasket of Iroquois as these Native Americans had gone and sided with the British. 
and they did, and they destroyed everything on their in their path north. They didn't get as far as Fort Niagara, but they over they choked up the supply line so bad that they figured about three thousand British allies actually died in uh, 1779, the winter of starvation. And it also goes in. It was very active during the War of 1812. British crossed over uh, when the when for, when the Niagara River actually went and froze. And one December night, they they came down the the main tra- main trail. They bayoneted all of the uh, Sentinels, and they actually took the fort. It was a bloody, bloody, bloody battle. Fort Niagara has had its its share of 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 really chaotic and craziness, and 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 it became a bloodbath. Later on, uh, it was demilitarized. It was uh, briefly used during the American Civil War, and then later on it became, I believe, it became a training camp where U.S. Army officers actually held prisoners of German prisoners of war, German prisoners that were taken during the Battle of the Bulge in World War II that were used as farm labor. It was decommissioned in 1963, so it's one of the oldest, it has the oldest building on the Great Lakes, which is the castle. It has some of the oldest history here in the Great Lakes, but it also has so much other, you know, so many other things going for it. And it's, it's uh, what you see today is only a portion of uh, what it actually was during its, during its heyday, during its glory days. Do they offer tours up there to, uh, and have areas of it? I know a lot of forts will have certain rooms that are set up like they were at a certain time period. Do they do that there? Absolutely. Uh, Robert, trying to think is now uh, Bob Enzinger, who is the executive director up there, is probably one of the most proactive executive directors of any historical site that I've ever volunteered or worked at. And I've done quite a few, uh, you know, the Civil War sites like Gettysburg and Antietam and a couple other places that I've actually uh, volunteered at. But he is he's a reenactor's reenactor, and he believes in portraying a location as it was. And the French castle is portrayed as barracks for la marines which was which were the french forces that were there during the 1700s you have two what they consider uh the best way i can for people that don't know the terminology there are two blockhouses there that were built by the british they're portrayed as during that time during the revolutionary war one is the other one is during the war of 1812 and they also have an underground these casemates that were built during the american civil war to protect the sally port so you can actually go in there and get a good taste to look like what it was like and they have a very active volunteer corps that go up there and they're always cooking and they're always working and, and doing different trades i myself i'm a cord joiner i was my father was a leather worker and uh i took up ancient leather working you know from you know the colonial days that's the way i used to work and that's how what i used to portray up there so people can go up there and really get a good taste of what it was how it how it felt back in the day as a matter of fact the biggest uh the biggest Events that they have up there are the French and Indian War days and the soldiers of the American Revolution. So uh, it's really something that if people ever get a chance to go up there, please do it because it's beautiful. And what's really impressive is in the visitor center during the War of 1812, the flag was was captured. And the American flag, these American flags are not small. These American flags are huge. They were done so so you, you know you could see them from far off. And uh, it ended up in Scotland in Lady Strange's Castle, of all places. I love that name. And it was purchased and brought back and conserved here. And you can, it's on display. It's absolutely it's breathtaking if you ever get a chance to see it. 
I just love that you were one of those people that would show how it was done back in the day. Because I know when we go to historical locations where they have, you know, the blacksmith doing the traditional thing or glass blowing, I love watching that. So it would have been fun to watch you doing the leather stuff. I I've done everything from uh, World War World War One stuff all the way back. I'm just trying to think how far back I go right back to medieval. I the line drawings of King Henry VIII's warship Mary Rose. They the conservator must have got tired of me like constantly emailing them, and they sent me all these beautiful line drawings, and I started making and recreating all the leather drinking vessels and uh, small medicine vessels. It's all done with a it's all done with leather and sand measuring out with sand and and you let them dry and then you seal them up it, it, it's it's a lost art and whenever i get a chance to do stuff like this or even to this day i get a chance to learn something like this i will take the time to do it i went up to fortress louisbourg up in nova scotia a few years ago to study their leather that they got out of the mud bags during their archaeological surveys and i actually while i was up there i got a chance to work with a gentleman that all he did was colonial fire buckets and I got a chance to work with him and, and learn from him. So it's it's a constant evolution, and it's just a lot of people are like, "Well, there he is, Tim Shaw. He, he's got the he's he's got the crazy train from Nerd City lately." But uh, no, I actually, but it, it's just I get very very excited about it because my dad was a carver. My dad was exquisite exquisite leather carver. But I what I did primarily was to do all sorts of functional, just beautiful little pieces that you would use every single day. Mugs and pieces of supply and hunting pouches and all sorts of little things like that. Some of my stuff actually ended up in a couple movies, which was pretty cool. So you never know where some of my stuff may end, <laughs> where it all ends up down the line. See, it's good to be a history geek. Oh, you have to be. Have to be. But you know what? I think that's the biggest problem that a lot of people, you know, within these different fields of which I kind of trip around. A lot of what's going on today. Nobody takes the time to do the land surveys anymore. Nobody really takes that time to, to understand what it was like. I, for the 130th anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg, we went and I was part of a march at that, that followed my great-great-grandfather who fought at Gettysburg. His regiment marched uh, 25 miles from Frederick, Maryland, all the way to the fields of Gettysburg. And I was able to do that in full Civil War uniform and, you know, stopping and seeing all the same sites, actually, that he saw. And that, to me, was mind-blowing. So, you know, you get a chance to go and you, you get that you get that whole history trip, you know, and it, it becomes even something a little bit more than the experience. It be, it transcends it. It becomes almost illuminated for you, you know, where you don't know whether you're in 2017 or you're you're back in the 17, 1800s. And that, to me, is really something that is, is it's just an amazing feeling. I get into conspiracy theories every so often, and one of the bizarre pieces of history that's connected to Fort Niagara is what happened to William Morgan. William Morgan, let me tell you, William Morgan is one of those unbelievable, interesting subjects that you can end up in a fist fight up here if you're not careful and if you're talking to the wrong person. I have a friend who is a grandmaster in, in the Masonic uh, uh, lodges. Their take is totally different from the take that another person that I know who wrote a book on William Morgan uh, has taken. And William Morgan was basically he was a retrobate and a liar. And he lied his way up the ranks in the Masonic, you know, in the in the in the Masonic organizations. What happened to him was, is he was someone who was going to expose some of the rituals and the rites that the Masons used, the Scottish rites. And he was going out and he was going to he was going to create a book. And they arrested him on some Trump charges. 
they ended up springing him. But the people who went and sprung him were, were people who were bent on silencing him. And uh, his one of his uh, last things that anybody has heard him say was, oh, murder most foul, as he was getting dragged out of the jail. And he, they, they took him through a succession of different places. And uh, he ended up at Old Fort Niagara in, the, in the, old form, the former powder magazine. The problem with they say what happened is that William Morgan or the people who, who, who kidnapped William Morgan didn't quite think the whole thing out. They didn't know what they were going to do with him. They figured they were going to go and maybe and, and trade him off to get him up to Canada or whatever. And the Canadian Masons were like, hey, we don't want any problems. You know, this is this is your show. We don't want to get involved with this. Do know that he was up in the powder magazine for a certain amount of time and then he disappeared. Uh, the theory is, is that he was rowed out into the middle of uh, Lake Ontario with the weights and, and dumped into the dumped into the lake. Now, we do know that they say his body washed up and it was a by his wife and he was buried at the Harvester Cemetery in Batavia and then later on they wanted to double check and they dug him up and it wasn't him. His height was wrong, I believe his eye color was wrong, uh, several things were just didn't mesh, he just disappeared. The Masons do believe that he was spirited up into Canada where he was silenced up there and his wife went up to uh, you know, be with him and they lived happily ever after. Uh, but we do know that his wife actually became one of the wives of Joseph Smith, the leader of the Church of the Latter-day Saints. So what happened to him it stays a mystery. And William Morgan is is really one of those one of those characters that either you really believed in what he was doing, or you believe that he was really just someone out there trying to scam his way through life. And that's kind of the way that I'm kind of lean. I know I'm going to get some hate mail from, from other Masons, and, but that's sort of the way that I, I do lean. But he was a very, very interesting character up there. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing that, because I wasn't sure if you would know anything about that. And that's always something that's intrigued me is the story behind what happened to him. Obviously, we'll never know. We're going to go actually in, in, in our little... Uh, in my little web series, where actually start, I just started interviewing people uh, associated with the, the Masonic orders uh, about William Morgan. So I'd like to be able to do someday. I'd like to actually do a semi-professional documentary on him and and, and see what happens. But yeah, he's a, it's it's just a, an important case here because it really ripped up. Uh, it destroyed the Mason organization almost actually almost worldwide, because now there were all these anti-Mason organizations, and they were all afraid of all the, you want to talk about conspiracies, everybody thought it was a big conspiracy, and, you know, you couldn't you couldn't go anywhere, it's like, like the Skull and Bone Society, you know, you couldn't, you can't be a president without being a Mason, you can't do this without being a Mason, and it wasn't until the American Civil War that the whole idea of, of Masonry actually started to be revived, and the whole the whole idea of helping your brother out, whether he be on one side or the other. Well, I know. I believe in October they set up something called the Haunted Fortress. Haunted yes. Attraction there. So obviously they embrace something about being haunted. And according to your experiences, you've had some haunting experiences there. And there's some activity going on there. So will you share a little bit about that? Fort Niagara. When I think about Western New York, and I've... Over the years, I've been blessed. I'm one of those people that falls into things where I get these crazy invitations to go to places that I never would dream I would ever get a chance to go to. And Fort Niagara in western New York is one of those locations that I have to say is in the top three of any place I've ever been. Wow. Fort Niagara is, when it's hopping, it's hopping. Uh, I've been in there when 
we were waiting. Actually, we were waiting for a uh, a group to come in, and they never showed on a, on a Saturday night. So I'm staying over there. I'm gonna. It, I got a 45 minute ride home. It's 1 a.m. in the morning. I don't wanna. I don't feel like driving home. I'm tired. So I'm just going to sleep in the castle. And I've slept in the castle several times. And anybody that is a volunteer up there, they all have their, their ghost stories. And I'm just kind of, I'm in the boulangerie, which is the French kitchen on the first on the first floor. And you start hearing footsteps. And it's not just one or two. It goes to like five or six, echoing from you know the second floor. Now there's three floors. Now I have gone through this myself to make sure nobody else is in this building. So I went, and again, I go through the whole place again. And up and down, up into the third floor, all the way back down, check everything. Nobody's there. I'm starting to hear I'm hearing it again. I'm going, okay, that's that's fine, whatever. Then I start hearing what I perceive as a door slamming. And it's a particular sound because it's this, these thick metal doors. And when they hit, it's metal on metal. And you hear those latches hit. And I went, oh, here we go again. And I want just to sleep a little bit. <laughs> so as, as I'm sitting there. I've got this beautiful fire going, and I got these mattress ticks laid out on the floor. I'm all set. I'm all set to go to sleep. Finally, it just gets overwhelming. It's when the barometric pressure starts to move a little bit. That's the best way I can describe it. And I start hearing steps coming down these. This, there's two stairways coming down from the second floor, and it's like ping, ping. And if you ever heard these particular this this particular sound. It's not like sneakers or regular shoes. As a reenactor myself, I knew what these things were. They have heels, these leather heels, but they have iron horseshoes that you nail on there so you can it lasts longer. These heels don't wear out, and that's what they used to do then. I started hearing it click, 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 click. Well, by that time, I said, feet don't fail me now, and I was gone. <laughs> I don't run out of a lot of I don't run out of a lot of locations, but that's one of the only places that I can actually say that I went out and I go sliding down this hallway. And at the end, there's World War II bathrooms that were put on there because they used it as officers' quarters. And in the ladies' bathroom, that's the only way that you can get out is the alarm. So I get back in there, and then I realized as I, I'm in there and I'm standing there, I'm going to go and turn the alarm on. I don't have the latest code. So now what do I do? Well, I'm not going back in there. I'm not going to lie. I've. I have gone into some crazy places in my life. I'm not going to go back in there. It just felt that bad. Something did not want me in there. And that's the best way I can describe it. So I closed the door, and I went out, and I actually drove my little my little truck in front of the place. And I opened, cracked open the windows, and I fell asleep in front so that I would still be on duty. And I, I'm like, I'm six foot one in this little Chevy truck with my head underneath a blanket in a fetal position. And... About 7.30 in the morning, I hear tap, 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 and it's the maintenance crew, and they're just in hysterics, and they're just like, oh, finally drove you out. After all these years, you said you were so brave. Finally got, finally chickened out, Shaw. You finally chickened out. That was probably, that's the only time I think I can remember ever, ever like, panicking and, like, running out. <laughs> that was, and, and it was whatever it was, and I had gone through that, I had gone looking for something. And there was nothing. There was just nothing there. So that was one of my favorite ones. Another time, we were having a, uh, a crafts weekend. And what's nice about being a volunteer in these historic locations is that it's like Disneyland to you. Nobody comes in or maybe one or two tourists come in during the off season, And you're standing there and you've got, you know, you're in the garb. You're in a historic location. You're working on stuff. And one of my buddies is a uh, off-duty or is, is a retired cop. He, he got a... He, he got a deer that had been 
hit by a truck. So he brought it in and we're, we were butchering it and we cooked everything. And it, what, it was just a wonderful time, wonderful time. And down in the basement, we used to have these refrigerators. So I'm taking these two jugs of cider and I'm going down into the basement and you get that weird feeling. It, it, over there, it's like when the barometric pressure starts to get uneven, it either drops quickly or raises quickly. That's when it seems like it gets active. And I got down there and something hit me across the hand. I dropped this jug. I looked down at my right hand. I had a welt across four fingers like somebody hit me with a rope. And I put the other jug in the refrigerator, walked back up there, and I had made, I had just finished making this leather canteen and a leather, you know, and, and, a, and, a, and a leather uh, uh, flagon. And I went and I gave it to a guy. I said, I'll give you that if you go down there and you clean, you clean up what I dropped. <laughs> and I didn't go back down in there. I didn't go back down to that basement. Until uh, Ghost Lab went down there, and I was uh, uh, I went down with them, the Kling brothers, and showed them what had happened. So that was quite a few years later. So yeah, sometimes the discretion is the better part of valor when you start talking about this stuff. And uh, I, I got to say that you know we all we've all had so many different experiences there. But yeah, those were my two peak experiences. I love that you still went over and put the other jug in the refrigerator after something made you drop the first one. I would have dropped the second one and ran right up the stairs. So I had us off well, you know, for taking the time to put the other one safely in the fridge. Sometimes your logical mind kicks in. And that's one of those times that my logical mind kicked in saying, I, I, I've got to complete the task. And then I was gone. I was gone. So, yeah, that's, there's so many things up there. And, you know, I think a lot of it resonates with me. Because growing up here in Western New York, my dad, uh, who worked at Bethlehem Steel, who's a blue-collar guy his whole life, but he loved history, absolutely loved history. And I have this I have this absolute reverence for history because of him. And I, some of my earliest memories are at Fort Niagara. I mean, I was a little kid running around. I mean, it, it was just great. And uh, I remember after he passed in 96, I had gone up there. Uh, they had these, what they call uh, cabin fever lecture series in the spring. So I was in the fort. Nobody else was in there. It was dead quiet, dead silence. Walking around, and, and there's a room where there's a bunch of displays. And I'm OCD when it comes to, like, doors open. I, I'm one of those guys that has to go and close the door. So I'm going over there, and I'm going to close this door that's just partially open. And I put my hand down, and it felt like it went through, like, this cotton candy. And as I went down, I was probably about four inches away from the door, the, the actual doorknob, and the door slammed shut. And I just thought, well, that's my dad saying hello, <laughs> that I'm back there. And he's happy, he was always happy that I was a volunteer there. I just find it fascinating when you think about all of the locations that you've been in and the experiences that you've had, that a place that a lot of people wouldn't normally put on their list of, oh, this is the most haunted place in such and such New York, that you've had experiences that have scared you enough that you're like, you know what, I'm out of here. It's one thing to hear footsteps and to be like, oh, that's kind of weird. I'm hearing some footsteps. But the presence that you were feeling was that negative and oppressive that you were like, you know what? I need to get out of here. And to have something smack you, it's not like something touching you to say, hey, I'm here. It was like trying to hurt you, it would seem like. I've been hit twice in, my, in, in, in what I've done, twice in all the years I've, I've done this. That once there... And once at a, uh, we were we were trying to help a, a family at a very very negative location where I got scratched really deeply and really, it, it, it was it was it, it's I still have a small scar there from uh, from the experience, but at Fort Niagara I never was afraid 
Never, never, never was afraid. Because again, growing up there, you know, there's a Coast Guard base right on the other side of it. Even by myself, I never had a problem sleeping in any of the buildings, uh, sleeping on the grounds itself, sleeping outside the fort. Never had a problem with it. But there seems to be certain times of the year there that really start to peak. And uh, I've often said that it's it's springtime and, and, and I would say later fall when there's a lot of static electricity in the air. And it seems that that might be the catalyst. That might be the battery that powers into this stuff. Uh, and a lot of people seem to have those experiences. I know a lot of reenactors up there who have actually seen uh, different things going on. A good friend of mine who's an artist uh, up on the second floor came up and when he was a younger man looked down uh, uh, looked down this, this hallway and there was a, a, a what he thought was a reenactor dressed as a, as a French La Marine. He walked down there, this person nodded to him, he went into the room, he came out and he was gone. This happens more than you know than a lot of people want to admit. One of the funniest things that ever happened up there is one of the uh, administrators was dead serious. He did not believe in any of this. He was like, you people who believe in these ghosts, you guys have a serious drug problem. And one day when they started to go and they started to flesh out these rooms, they started to make bring them to life. He had there was an electrician there and they brought him up there and he showed him what he had to do. And they were installing these laser lights, these laser alarms. And all of a sudden the guy He's, he's, you know, th you know, this guy goes back to the office. This guy comes running across the parade ground and they're going, well, what's wrong? He goes, I thought my flashlight was on and I went down and I looked and there was like something white floating there by my stomach. And then it zipped down out of and down the hallway. He goes, I got out of there. So the guy went up there and he says, well, I'm going to stay with you. We listen, you got, you got to finish this job. And the guy didn't really want to go back up there. He says, I'm going to go back up there with you. And he was working. And sure enough. This guy saw what looked like a, a visible orb because we all, you know, the whole idea of orbs through cameras are a little iffy. Mm -hmm. But this was a bright light that shot down this hallway and went into the wall. It just went into the room and he followed it and it looked like it went into the wall itself. And they still don't know why or, you know, there was no reason for why it went in that direction. So I asked him, I said, so tell me the truth. You saw your first ghost. You, you had your first your first physical phenomena. He goes, all I'm going to tell you something, Shaw, is that it was something. I don't know what the hell it is, but it was none of your damn ghosts. I'll tell you that right now. So he still would never admit it. But it was he even had a, an experience up there. And so you never know. You never know. And then the shadow people are crazy up there. That I, I will say there's in one of the Sally ports, it's really weird because you start walking down there and you get that little feeling and you look up. It's almost as if somebody's head sticks around you know kind of sticks out and looks at you and then goes back in or down in the casemates it was i always remember it was 10 30 in the morning and i took a friend of mine on a tour there and uh we we're going down into the civil war casemates and it we we both walked through almost what almost felt like like a wall of static electricity and we walked through it and there's a, a little passage that goes by the guns and goes down to this arsenal and all of a sudden it was like mist it was this this gray mist, and it looked pixelated. And I've been in enough haunted houses, and I've had this actually even happen in my house. I, of course, I didn't tell my wife what it was, but this great pixelated mist was like all through there. So we're trying to take pictures, and it sucked my camera battery dry. And he got three shots off, and he actually got three shots of the mist, which was pretty neat. And his camera went dead. 
And we were actually, when we left and we went back up outside, both cameras came back online. So the batteries just were drained down to a certain point where they didn't work and then they came back on, but they were very, very depleted. So whatever it was down there was almost parasitical in nature for energy. So it was, it, 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 there, but that happens a lot. That happens a lot. And of course, you know, you have every so often uh, you, you'll hear about a, a woman in white walking through this. There's a military cemetery just outside the gates. And they'll see a woman in white walking through there. But what we know of the cemetery is that for every headstone that's actually there, there's probably about three people buried mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. People buried. And during the 1800s, they had to do something because the wall, it's, it's up on the Niagara River, and it's on, it's on one of the, uh, one of the uh, embankments, and it was washing out, and bones and coffins were actually sliding down into the Niagara oh, River. Oh, no. And on Sundays, all the all the proper Victorians were kind of appalled when they looked up there and they would see that. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, and we've also seen. Uh, I've seen personally. Uh, I know it's probably a group from up in that way. There's a lot of different uh, uh, Wiccan groups and and other you know and other different types of groups that are up there. And I actually saw them do a snake dance inside the cemetery. Uh, they were all dressed in white and they were they were kind of doing a snake dance in there. And, and uh, you know I don't. I'll be honest with you. When I see something like that, those are the people that were, are not going to go and damage anything in, in, in a historic location. Uh, it's you know it's the other type of people that are in there, you know, and they're kind of hiding and, and sneaking around. These people made no bones about it. They were there and they, you know, they just they were doing it. I'm sure it was some ritual, but yeah, it, it, there's so much. There's just so much up there. And every time I go up there, and I still to this day, I still again I have that that sense of awe when I go up there. I'm like a little kid again, and. Uh, I'm, I'm forever, you know, exploring and looking around. And, and now, I, of course, I'm carrying a recorder with me to make sure that I can uh, see what I can pick up. One of the best stories is, is there was a priest from James uh, Jonestown, and uh, Jonestown, Pennsylvania. And he was going to go and sleep in the chapel. There's a small Jesuit chapel up in there. Well, in the middle of the night, he woke up a friend outside and said, listen, take my stuff, pack it up, and I'm leaving tonight. Would you take it home with me? He goes, well, what's wrong? He says, I don't want to talk about it. And I tried to interview this guy several times, this priest. And he will not speak about whatever happened in that chapel. Now, I talked to a friend of his who said that, from what he understood, that nothing was moving. But as he was trying to sleep on a cot in the chapel, and there's a little altar and everything in there, it sounded as, as sounded as if all the, the benches and the seats were moving around. So it just freaked him so bad that he now goes and he has a, a tent outside. And when he does mass... He does it at uh, the Father Malay cross, and Father Malay was one of the first Jesuits in that area. And he does it on an upturned uh, canoe. So he has never been inside. He's never been inside the castle since. Yeah, it does make you wonder what happened if he's like, oh, I'm not going to go in there. And if he doesn't want to talk about it, that makes it even more intense. But it's a beautiful place, and if anybody gets a chance to go up there, it's, it's part of the Niagara region, and you have so much history up there, and you've got so many of. Lewiston, New York, is probably one of the most haunted little towns in New York State, and they have ghosts. They have a lot of ghost uh, uh, tours up there, and you've got Oak Orchard, which is a cemetery where uh, many of the uh, conductors of the Underground Railroad are buried and go down to the landing in Lewiston, and there's a beautiful statue to the Underground Railroad and to to Harriet Tubman. So there's so much up there and there's so much history, but the haunted history up there is just amazing. And and you hit it right during the fall. 
believe me, you'll never get the, you'll never, you'll never go anywhere else. Every fall I go up there, every fall I'm, I'm always happy when I, when I go on some of these tours. I don't know where things are located there. How close are you to Niagara Falls? Good question. Niagara Falls. I was just getting ready to ask it. <laughs> Only the most intelligent people ask those questions. Let me ask you, let me tell you that. Uh, no, we're, Niagara Falls is probably about 20 to 30 minutes away. You're very, very close to uh, one of the bridges going into Canada also. So, I mean, it, it's very, very close. There's so much, again, there's so much to see and do in that little corridor. And you have beauty, you have Art Park, which which has uh, uh, Hopewell Mounds in it. It's where the first uh, uh, portage coming up from the actual river itself, the, it's called the, the gully, that's still there. You have, that was the location of Jean Clair's uh, trade post, one of the first uh, French trade posts here in the U.S. So it's it's just a beautiful place. And then, of course, if you just want to go and hang out at Niagara, it's a great place to go to. I love it. See, we're sold. We're coming sometime. Yep. Come on up. Come on. I'll give you. Listen, listen. I'll give you the fifty cent tour for twenty five cents. That's that's what kind of a guy I am. But I'd love to take you guys up and 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 show you uh, a little bit of my country up here. That'd be great because that's one area that I haven't really been to, so I don't know that much about it. Where I'm just, I just live just outside of Buffalo. And Buffalo, New York, is 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 experiencing uh, a great resurgence and culture and traditions, and it's embraced so much. And it's just a, it's a beautiful, beautiful area. So we and we have the haunted uh, uh, naval park. You've got the USS Sullivan's. You've got the Little Rock, and you've got uh, the USS Croker, a a uh, submarine, and all three of them. I've experienced things on. Wow. Yeah, see, I, I was in Buffalo for a conference one time, but I was mostly in meetings and everything. I was on, on the board. And so I was that close to Niagara Falls, and I still have never seen it. Niagara Falls, a lot of people from up here take it for granted. Uh, oh, yeah, it's just Niagara Falls. It's one of those places when they say it's one of the seven wonders of the world. It actually is. It is absolutely beautiful. It's breathtaking. You know, you have to be a tourist. You have to go on the Maid of the Mist, you know, so you can get up close to the falls. You, you have to go in the Cave of the Winds, you know, to get up and, and under, you know, uh, all that water, rushing water coming at you. You get very, very close to it. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. You go to, you know, you get on Goat Island. And, of course, if you, you know, there, there is, if you're looking for, you know, top-of-the-line entertainment, uh, you've got the, the casino up there. You've got uh, all your different restaurants really great places and if you're looking for ghosts goblins and things that go bump in the night i can i can give you a list <laughs> i can give you a list and i can give you some contacts and you won't be sorry i think you'd love it well tim we are definitely going to have you back thank you for sharing all of this it's been absolutely amazing where can people find out more about your web series curiosity and more about where they can follow you on twitter and facebook and all that good stuff the best way to get a hold of me or, or follow us is on uh, a place, a little website that we call www.seanthomasproductions, and Sean is spelled S-E-A-N, and it's a dot com. And on there, you'll see some of our, uh, our some of our latest adventures. Uh, Eric Charles and I take uh, uh, we we take turns hosting the show and wandering around. We're always looking for curious things. We also have a podcast that we just started uh, recently called Curiosity Radio, and you can find it on there. You can find us on uh, iTunes or wherever, and we're we're on the Slackjaw Punks radio network. And uh, my books can be found on uh, Amazon right now. and Or you can just hang out and, and write to 
Welcomeoutmelounge1.com and just say hi, and I'd be thrilled. Usually it takes me two weeks to get back to you because I have a man brain. Sometimes things don't equate, but I'll get back to you, I promise. <laughs> well, now I have a new podcast to add to my listen list. That sounds great. I love it. And again, you ladies, I'm going to tell you what, top, top notch, top notch. You guys have a great show. I love the whole concept of what you do. I love the fact that you guys actually get out there in the field and really take some of these trips. Your New Orleans, I'm going to tell you right now, your New Orleans uh, uh, podcast was phenomenal, was just phenomenal. I wish I had heard it before I had recently gone down there for a gig. And uh, just please keep up the great work because I am just like, and again, I'm just so honored that you guys asked me to be on the show. This is this is sort of like back in the day when you got when you did, we were a comic, and then Johnny Carson used to like invite you on the couch to talk to him. That's what this is like. That's like that's how great this is. So you're telling us we need to get a couch? <laughs> Listen, I'm a guy. I sleep on a couch all the time. That's the way it works. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know what's funny? Denise is always saying how she's my straight man, the Ed McMahon. So, <laughs> well, that's because your yeah, dad sure. told me that's what I was when we first started the podcast. So. No, you you girls have equal shares in the duties. You both have great questions, and you both really, you guys really enjoy what you're doing. And that's what, I think that's the number one thing that I always look for. Uh, you have to enjoy, you have to enjoy the whole project of which you're part of. When we first started out with Curiosity, uh, Eric and I had, had uh, recently stopped our shows. He had the Haunted Buffalo, and of course I had Black Cat Lounge. And I had done that for nine years, and then I had been on CBS for a couple of years. We decided that we were going to only do something that was fun. And we didn't care if anybody watched us. We don't care if anybody listened to us. We wanted to do it because we wanted to enjoy it and have the experiences of it. And, you know, the rest is history. And we've had some great places. We've, we've hung out. Uh, I just, uh, as a matter of fact, I just... I just unwrapped and taped uh, seven haunted objects that demonologist Jason Love sent to me from uh, from Scotland for my collection. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. It's, it's got some great stuff. I was just up in Bergen, New York, just kind of doing a walkthrough of a, of a haunted house up there, which was really neat. So I'm just, you know, just keeping keeping busy. And, and this is something that we have we all have a passion for. And sharing it and bringing this stuff alive. And you girls really, I'm going to tell you what, you guys really bring your topics alive. And that's what I love about it. And that's why I don't miss any of your episodes. Well, that is so sweet of you to say that. It's kind of funny that you are saying that about us because I told Denise, I said, he's kind of a celebrity in the paranormal world. Because <laughs> no, I mean, they no. ask you to speak at things and stuff. So, Well, I'm a celebrity in my own mind, let me tell you. That's exactly <laughs> what I want. You know, and, and here's the bottom line. I was very blessed. Very, very, very blessed. I was sort of in the right place at the right time, and everything just kind of fell into place. And for a reason, I don't know why people enjoyed listening to what I had to say. And I, I brought a multifaceted approach being, you know, from a religious type of view. And I love paranormal. You know, I love all the tech and all that now. So I was able to go new school, old school. So I kind of kind of bridged the gap. So I maybe maybe for some whatever reason, people thought that I might have something interesting to say, because quite frankly, I bore myself most of the time. <laughs> well, you weren't boring to us. So. No, not at all. Thank you. thank you so very, very much. Well, thank you again for joining us, Tim. We look forward to talking to you in the future and you have a fabulous evening. You have a fantastic evening. You have, guys have a blessed rest of the summer. And I look forward to uh, 
hearing more of the podcast. Not necessarily me, but some of your other really good ones. <laughs> okay, right. guys. Okay. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was a ton of fun having Tim on. I really enjoyed having him. We are going to have him join us for another episode that will be coming up in October at an incredibly haunted location that we're not going to tell you what it is yet. Nanny, nanny, nanny. But Denise, he's a guy that I would love to just sit down and have, well, I don't drink coffee, so I guess tea or something with. (laughs) He's one of those people you say he'd be great to have a beer with, but we don't drink, so. Yeah, so I like that. It's like, I'd love to have a spot of tea with him. I guess (laughs) she has been like channeling our friends from across the pond. He was talking about cider, so I wouldn't mind sitting down and having some cider. Except for cider, according to like London type cider, because then it's. Isn't not it beer? Ha- not hard cider. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was about to say. But yeah, I would love to meet him. And he's offered to be a tour guide for us if we get up there. And New York is on my, my radar for sure. So While we were talking to Tim, he mentioned the French explorer LaSalle. And there was this little skirmish there that he didn't really get into the specifics on. But there is a legend that has a little bit of a connection to Fort Niagara that I wanted to talk a little bit about. Denise, I guess it's another one of my little rabbit holes that I like to go down. Okay, it appears that the listeners are enjoying your rabbit holes, so we're going to start calling you White Rabbit or something, and then down the hole we go. Hello? Hello? Yes, I'm down here in the rabbit hole, and I've brought you with me. An interesting legend is connected to Fort Niagara and its role in putting down a Native American rebellion led by the Seneca. The fort became a staging area for one final effort by the British to stop the rebellion, and it worked. The tribes were required to sign peace treaties, but the Seneca had a harsher punishment and were forced to give up a one-mile-wide strip of land on the east side of the Niagara River. The reason for them being given that harsher sentence or having to give over the land was for something that has been dubbed the Massacre at Devil's Hole. Devil's Hole is a huge cavern near the Niagara Gorge that was originally nearly three-quarters of a mile in length. The native tribes in the area used it as a hiding place, and legend claims that they killed anyone who came near it, leading to people claiming that it is home to evil spirits. The Battle of Devil's Hole, also known as the Devil's Hole Massacre, was fought near Niagara Gorge in present-day New York State on September 14, 1763. The skirmish was between a detachment of the British 80th Regiment of Light Armed Foot and about 300 Seneca warriors. The regiment was leading a wagon supply train from Fort Slosher to Fort Niagara. The Seneca warriors killed 81 British soldiers and wounded eight before the British managed to retreat. And so that was what Tim had been talking about when he said that their supply line was choked. A legend claims that French explorer Robert René Cavalier de La Salle was returning to Lake Ontario when he and his guide came upon the Devil's Hole. His guide told him that it was an abode of the Devil. La Salle was an explorer, so he wanted to descend into its depths, so his guide tried to dissuade him with this story. Ages and ages of prosperity and happiness to the red man had passed from the time of his first creation. The great spirit loved his red children and gave them this country for the sole use and enjoyment. So it would have continued forever if the great falls of Ongiara, whose thunder we now hear so plainly, had continued near the spot where your canoe landed. But the red men became bad and vexed the great spirit with their war parties. The rocks began to fall off amidst thunders and storms and scarcely a moon passed that was not marked by some change. Moons and moons passed and the falls were above this devil's hole, which then became open to the rapids and the evil spirit could get out. 
Noise of thunder, shrieks, and groans were often heard from this darkened den, which greatly excited the curiosity of the young man. One of them, a fine young brave, insisted upon examining the secrets of this dark prison house. Armed for battle, he descended with much difficulty, and we never saw him more. Then came the word that the pale faces in the vast canoes, which could easily carry an army, had come out of the great sea and landed under the midday sun. The evil was distant, and we thought little of it. Time passed on, and another of our young men descended into the cavern. He returned in a few hours, a raving maniac, and his hair, which had been black and glossy as a raven, had become white as snow. Then came the word that a pale-faced John Cabot had landed on the shore of the great sea, convinced that the spirit of evil lived in the deep dark hole, and that the fate of the red man depended upon his not being disturbed. This is the tradition of our race. Judge them, my white brother, whether you could disturb the evil spirit in his abode and not suffer the penalty. LaSalle seemed convinced that it would be a bad idea based on this revelation by his guide, so the men rode away. But LaSalle could not stop thinking about the place, and two days later he decided to return and explore the devil's hole. He went alone and descended into the hole. He heard disembodied whispers, and he pressed deeper into the cavern. Then he heard a voice speak in the Iroquois language with an urgent warning for him, saying, Return to your home in Canada, and wealth, honors, a long life, and usefulness will be yours. And when death comes, generations of your descendants shall follow you to your grave, and history shall transmit your name to prosperity as the successful founder of a great empire. Proceed to the West, and although gleams of hope may at times shine in your path, ingratitude and disappointment will be sure to meet and follow you until a treacherous murder shall end your days remote from human habitation, without the shelter of even a wigwam of a friendly red man. The eagles of the desert shall strip the flesh from your bones, which shall lay bleached under the tropical sun, unburied and unprotected by the cross you now so devotedly cherish. LaSalle ran terrified from the devil's hole. Unfortunately, he did not listen and he pressed west, finding bad luck and losing his fortune. Nearly 14 years later, the entire prophecy had almost been fulfilled. He returned to France after his native empire in Illinois was wiped out entirely. Was the evil spirit actually being helpful to LaSalle, or had it cursed him for entering the devil's hole? And did any of this experience actually happen? So at Fort Niagara, they have a whole lot of stuff going on. Obviously, you heard Tim's experiences. Employees also claim to see strange reflections and to hear ghostly sounds of battle, marching, snoring, yelling, and alarms going off. Chairs move on their own, as do other objects. One investigator claimed to encounter a black phantom and a soldier. He also got odd feelings near the well where the body of the headless dueler was thrown. And this is a ghost that they say all the school children know about. And it's about this headless ghost. And apparently what happened is there were these two French officers who fought a sword duel and one of them ended up getting decapitated. The dual survivor threw the guy who got decapitated his body down into this well. And... We're not really sure exactly what he did with the head. And supposedly on nights of the full moon, a ghost allegedly rises from the well in search of its head, wherever it may be. And then there are also claims about a hobgoblin being seen in the cemetery. So that sounds like an odd creature. Yes, it does. And then we did talk about William Morgan, and nobody's quite sure exactly what happened to him, but there are those that believe that William Morgan's ghost hangs out here at the fort too. So 
if maybe they did kill him uh, off in the woods somewhere near the fort. He keeps coming back to the fort. We're not quite sure, but that's another one of the ghosts that they supposedly see. And then there was a famous Onondago chief named Aaron, and he died of illness and the cold there at the fort. And supposedly people see his specter wandering around. So there's a lot of stuff going on here, apparently. So based on the stories we have heard, not only from Tim, but others, it would seem that there are spirits at unrest at this old fort. Is Old Fort Niagara haunted? That is for you to decide. And in the show notes, we do have a lot of links where you can find Tim Shaw's stuff. Obviously, there's SeanThomasProductions.com. On Twitter, he is Tim Shaw Ghost. And if you are interested in checking out his podcast, I had a hard time finding it. So what you need to do is look for Slackjaw Punks. So search Slackjaw Punks in iTunes or whatever podcast catcher you like to use. And you should see Curiosity Radio under that somewhere. And that's how I ended up finding it. On our next episode, Chris Klimovitz is going to be joining us again. We're not going to be talking about legends over in some strange part of the world. We're actually going to talk about a school that he attended, Arcadia University. Apparently, it's haunted. So he's going to share that with us on our next episode. We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We are getting to the end of August, so if you wanted to be a part of our Flash Fiction Contest, that does end at midnight on September 1st, 2017. So make sure if you wanted to compete in that, that you do have your story to us by then. We have several submissions, so it's going to be a lot of fun to share those on our anniversary show. We also are going to have a special guest on our anniversary show because October 1st is ramping up to a certain holiday, Denise. That would be This Is Halloween. Yes. So we're going to have someone who I consider to be an expert on Halloween when it comes to decorating, costumes, pretty much everything about Halloween. She's going to be joining us for that. So we're going to have a lot of fun talking to her. And we did get an email from Carrie, who is a preschool teacher. So so she is talking about our Haunted Cemeteries 3, where we went down that little rabbit hole on Playgrounds, Denise. Okay, hopefully we didn't freak her out. No, uh, she says, as a preschool teacher, when you were talking about playgrounds, it got my ears perked up. We are now doing natural playgrounds and classrooms. The philosophy is to teach the children about learning in different ways and how to appropriate nature. I'm lucky where I live since I live in creepy Northern California, five hours north of San Francisco, and I have lots of nature to use. And she shared with us several pictures showing us these natural playgrounds. And basically, it looks like they're using tree limbs that they've kind of cleaned up and they have stacked on top of posts and things so that it's like kids can climb. Can Basically, Denise, you know, you used to love climbing trees. Well, this is a safe way to climb a tree, it looks like, because it's basically on the ground. Well, what's the fun in that, <laughs> Diane? <laughs> yeah, in fact, didn't I just... Oh, I was just talking about that when we were at Avatar or Pandora Land of Avatar over at Disney's Animal Kingdom. There was just like this thing that went up into the floating islands. And I'm like, oh, I would have so wanted to climb that if I was a little knobby child. Then she has this other natural classroom and it looks like it's got a little 
house cubby hole kind of thing and some things to climb on. You know what I'll do is grab these pictures and I'll put them in the notes for Haunted Cemeteries 3 so you guys can see them. There's a boat here that looks like kids are playing in the dirt, maybe planting some stuff, little gardens and things. So lots of fun. And it looks like she even has where she's brought nature physically into the classroom too. Now see all that super, super cool. I just a tree on the ground. I I have to kind of (laughs) play with that one a little bit. I just love the idea of this because I loved nature. Well, I still do. I love nature. And as a kid, I loved nature and hiking. And so if teachers would have brought rocks and trees and things into the classroom, would have been a big difference for me. Yes. So thanks for sharing that with us, Carrie. We also have a couple of reviews to share from Apple Podcasts. The first one is from Jade Panther. So addictive. Five stars. This podcast is fun, informative, well-researched, and has amazing stories. Three parts history, one part paranormal, one part belief, and one part skepticism iced with friendly banter and a sprinkle of quirkiness. I adore the moments in oddity history as well. I feel like I can count these ladies as honorary family members. I'm even sharing episodes with my nine-year-old. Keep up the good work, ladies. If you want it NPR style or more formal, look elsewhere. If you're picky about sound quality, just skip a few episodes. Well, thank you, Jade Panther, for that. And then Dan Lefebvre, transform your commute into a ghost tour, five stars. If you're like me and listen to podcasts primarily while driving, History Goes Bump is a great podcast to help transform your trip from the mundane to the supernatural. Diane and Denise offer up the fascinating haunted tales of places all over. Keep up the great work. And Dan is the host of Based on a True Story. And for those of you who are executive producers, you got to hear an interview that we did with Dan was one of our bonus episodes that we put up uh, last week. So thanks so much, Dan, for giving us a review. We appreciate that. We want to thank you guys for listening to this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producers, Barb Niles Barrett and Lindsay Lee Sutton. Thanks. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com.